0: You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now here is Tom Eliff. I ask if you will please open your Bible to the 90th Psalm, Psalm 90. And I want to speak to you this morning about the rest of your life. Now, I did not say, for those of you who are panicked, that I want to speak to you for the rest of your life. I realize it may seem that way sometimes, but I want to speak to you about the rest of your life. In three weeks, I'm going to begin preaching a series here on Sundays entitled, For the Rest of My Life. And the message this morning is just to introduce this subject to challenge you to think about the rest of your life and about the commitments you need to make to the Lord now, which will affect the course for the balance of your life. And I'm praying that somehow this morning, God will just light a fire in the heart of every one of us as we think about the future, whatever our age. You may be nearing 100 years of age. That's okay. You still have life left. What will you do? with the rest of your life. How will you spend it? How will you give a good account for it? You may be here this morning and you're a teenager and you think to yourself, well, I'm going to think about those big, important decisions one of these days because I believe that one of these days God will start holding me accountable for my life. The reality is, young man, young lady, God is holding you accountable for every day that you spend right now in your life. It's not like God is going to place greater importance and judgment upon the years you spent when you were 50 or when you were 80 or when you were 30 or 40. He places great value upon the way you spend every day, including this day. And so now is the time to make decisions. Now is the time to make commitments for the rest of your life. I sat this past week with a friend of mine. Some of you heard during starlight that. I was going to go, in fact, was going to go preach a funeral for this man's wife, but our plane was canceled and I was not able to leave Oklahoma City the morning of that funeral. This man is an eminently qualified man in the legal profession. He has served as counsel to the United States Supreme Court. He has served as U.S. District Attorney. He now is involved in a very prominent, very successful law practice in the city of Denver. He, as a matter of fact, is one of several men who represent the legal causes and issues for the focus on the family organization. He is one of the men who was in the primary uh, movement, the original group that met, out of which was born what we call promise keepers. And so this man is very active as a believer in Christ. I had the privilege of baptizing him and baptizing his wife some years ago after they came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, They're good friends of our family. And yet... Four months ago, his wife was diagnosed with a very serious illness and it seemed that no matter how they tried to treat this illness that the ravages leading to death could not be stopped and she went from being just a wonderfully healthy, vivacious, energetic person, strong, faithful witness, mother of two and grandmother of three. Uh, She went from that, in a matter of four months, to the moment of her death, and that burial was two or three weeks ago. And so when we got to Denver, I called my friend. He drove up to the mountains where we were, and we sat across the table from one another in a restaurant and visited for over two hours. And about every five, six, seven minutes, as we talked, something would be said, something that would, would be done that would just bring the tears to his eyes, that would flow down his cheeks, and he would say, I don't know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. How do I spend the rest of my life? What do I do without this wonderful companion for life? When I look out here this morning, and I know the same is true of those who listen and those who watch us on television, I know that I'm speaking to parents whose children have passed away and children whose parents are gone and, and husbands or wives whose mate is now in heaven. And I realize that for all of us, the time of death brings us face to face with the seriousness of this issue. What will I do with the rest of my life? Behind me is this beautiful floral arrangement, and it has been given to our church by Ralph and Rosine Spees and their family members who are here this morning. For this morning is the anniversary of the death of their daughter and how can you describe that how can you think of the possibility of that and i have been praying for ralph and rosine as well as for many others of you who've experienced similar things in your life and my wife and i have been praying specifically this past week that this day itself would be a day of tribute and honor a day when heaven grows closer a day when the comfort of god would fill their hearts to a greater degree than ever before, but also that this morning would be a day when confronted with the uncertainties of life and confronted with the brevity of life, confronted with the fact that our lives are fragile and that we do not get to write the script for much of our lives, confronted with that issue, we will also deal seriously with this question, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And I want to encourage you to consider some very serious issues this morning. And if you will, you have your Bible open to the 90th chapter of Psalms. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to read the Word of God. And then I want to make several comments about it and then call us, to a time of decision about the rest of our lives, how we spend the rest of our lives. This psalm is not a psalm of David. It is a psalm of Moses. It was written sometime after the 80th birthday of Moses. For you need to know that Moses did not come as the deliverer of the children of Israel until he was 80 years of age. That's why I say that sometimes we think, well, this is not an appropriate moment for me to consider what I am to do with the rest of my life. It was at 80 years of age that God radically altered the direction of Moses' life. Moses, for 40 years, grew up as the grandson of Pharaoh, under the finest traditions of Egyptian scholarship, rose to prominence in government and found himself leading some of the greatest combat sorties of the Egyptian army. That is a matter of history. At the age of 40, Moses sensed that as an Israelite, he ought to be a part of, of somehow dealing with the mistreatment of those people. His efforts were ill-timed. He had to run for his life. And for 40 more years, this man who was the, the uh, king's grandson, this man spent as a humble shepherd of a flock of dirty sheep on what the Bible would say is the backside of the wilderness. He was out in nowhere'sville, no man's land, totally forgotten by everyone except God. How many of those years up to that point should Moses give an account for? All 80 of those years. And then in his 80th year, Moses had that wonderful encounter with God, and God altered the pattern for the rest of his life. And I believe there's some here this morning would say, I can't do anything about the way I've spent my past, and the Lord knows I have made plenty of mistakes. But you would say this morning, Brother Tom, is there any way that I can be used of God for the rest of my life? What purpose does God have for the balance of the years, maybe the year, maybe the month I have left? What purpose does God have for that? Well, that's what Moses deals with in this psalm. Verse 8, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore and ten. He says, in other words, a normal person lives about 70 years. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, in other words, if you should live to 80, yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. In other words, we die. Who knows the power of your anger? Even according to your fear, in other words, the reverence we have of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And my prayer is that with the testimony of this man in Colorado and confronted by the testimony of a married couple with two children who said we want God to have total charge of the rest of our life and confronted here this morning by a living testimony that a life no matter how beautiful and how radiant, and how strong a testimony it may have, and how much joy that life may bring into the hearts of other people. Life is still fragile, and you have no way of saying God owes you more days or more years. How will you spend the rest of your life? And if you want to spend it properly, if you want to give a good account to God of it, then there are some things you must do and we're going to be looking at them in these next few moments. Father, our prayer is your Holy Spirit would rivet the attention of every young man, young lady, every parent, mother, father, husband, wife, every grandparent or great-grandparent here, Heavenly Father, no matter what our age, may we realize that right now we're not living in such a fashion that we will not have to give an account of it to you. Father, may we see that every day is a day that is spent for something, used up for someone, something, some other purpose. And Father, I pray that you will show us that there is hope for everyone here and there are desires you have for us for the rest of our lives. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Keep your Bible open to this Psalm 90 as we think together about the rest of our lives how are we going to spend the rest of our lives how can you spend them in the way that is wise how can you give a good account for the rest of your life three things I want to suggest to you quickly this morning the first is this I believe it's important and I know this is going to sound abrasive to some people here but if you really want to spend the rest of your lives in a fashion that brings glory and honor to God at some time in your life. And I would suggest today, if you've not done so already, you need to confess your foolishness. You say, Brother Tom, what do you mean? Here I am thinking about spending my life in a way that's honoring to God, and you say, I start out by confessing my foolishness. What kind of foolishness are you talking about? Well, here is a, fo- here is a foolishness that is common to many people. And that is the foolishness of giving no really serious thought to the future. Notice here, he says, so teach us to number our days. You know what that means, teach us? He's saying, Lord, what we need you to do is to change us from the way we are by nature to what we ought to be. You see, really giving serious consideration of the future is not something we just naturally do. It's something you, dear God, need to teach us how to do. Teach us to number our days. We're like children. We're foolish. We do not normally give, just by human nature, real serious thought to the future. Now, I know many of you have given some serious thought to the future. You may have gone to a seminar. Taken a course, you may have come face to face with some abrupt decision which is very difficult for you to make. But let me ask you a question. Have you really thought about the direction your life's path, living it as you are living it now, is going to take you? How are the energies of your life being used right now? What will the end result be? He said, we spend our lives. Just think of spending money. You lay down on the table every 24 hours the energies of your life, the tremendous complexities and the thoughts of your brain, the thousands of the beats of your heart through multiplied thousands of, of miles of arteries and veins, the breathing in and breathing out, the using up of some of the resources of your body, you lay that on the table and you have spent that for something. You spent your life for something yesterday. You actually laid it down. You will never get back. Only what you invested your life in. Now, where will the path you are on right now lead you? You see, we live in an era that is by nature... uh, existentialist now that's a long uh, $50 word and I want to describe to you what it means over in Europe many years ago, they thought about how they had built and it had been bombed, and they had built and had been destroyed, and their whole history is a history of building and destruction. And so finally there came along some people who said, look, forget about the past because it means nothing. Forget about the future. Whatever happens then is probably going to be destroyed too. Live for the moment. Existence right now is prime, and that has infected our society in America. You only go around once in life. Grab all the gusto you can. Forget about the complications and the implications of of your life's behavior today, just get all you want right this minute. That's foolishness. Because you are using up, you are spending your life out. And where will the path, teenager, mom, dad, grandmother, where is this path taking you? What legacy will you leave with your life if you continue as you are headed right now You say, well, one of these days I want to really mean something to my family. One of these days I really want to serve the Lord. One of these days I want to conquer this habit. One of these days I want to gain this new discipline in my life. Listen, dear friend, God does not owe you another day. Where is your path taking you? Where are your energies driving you right now? And so we need to confess our foolishness, don't we? Lord, we've been foolish. Let me give you three reasons why it is urgent for you to consider this. First of all, there is an assurance. What is the assurance? The assurance is that life is uncertain. The Bible tells us the book of James that life is like a vapor, which today is. It's gone tomorrow. It's over. Here he says in verse 8, or verse 9, he says, Our days are passed away in our wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. You know what he's saying here? That, that phrase, tale, that is told in the original language means just a reflection, a fleeting meditation. Here comes old Tom, here's Tom, Tom's gone. Wonder whatever happened to Tom. About like that. He says, We spend our lives just as a fleeting thought in the balance of eternity. It's just here, gone. Spin up all the labor, all the thoughts, all the agony, all the joys, spinning it up. But in the light of the larger picture, it's just like a moment's reflection. It is fragile in nature. There's that assurance. Secondly, look at the audience, verse 9. The audience for everything you're doing, the audience for everything I'm doing, is God. Notice he says, there might be other people who are looking on to your life, verse 8, you've set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins in the light of your countenance, our secret sins. How mortified great public leaders are when the tapes are discovered or the correspondence is discovered. But I want to tell you something. The tapes, the correspondence, that's all just the tip of an iceberg of what's in a man's heart. I mean, how would the people around you this morning feel about you if they really knew every place you go and everything you did and everything you thought? How comfortable would they be sitting by you this morning if they really knew all that was in your heart? Well, let me tell you something, God does. God does. God is the divine audience for everything you do. And because of that, there's another reason that you and I urgently need to consider the rest of our lives, and that is that we're going to give an account to God for them. If you never know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, one of these days when the curtain of time is rung down, because your name is not in the Lamb's book of life, the Bible tells us God will turn to the other books and you will be judged according to your works and by the works of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, no man will be justified. Everyone judged that way spends eternity in hell. If you are a believer in Christ, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes for his church, you will stand before God, gaining entrance in heaven, not because of your works, but because you have trusted in Christ as your Savior. But you also will give an account for the way you used what God gave you. That's called the judgment seat of Christ. You will give an account for the opportunities he sent your way, the challenges you received, the sermons you heard, the songs you sung, the nudges of the Holy Spirit to which you could have responded in your lifetime, you will be held accountable for all of those. And so we have this assurance, life is brief. We have this audience, God is a witness to everything I think, am, everything I do, and God will hold me accountable. So isn't it foolish not to think about how I'm going to spend up the rest of my life? Confess your foolishness. Lord, I've been foolish. I've not given that much thought to the rest of my life. It's been centered around me, centered around me. A lady told me this last week, I was, my wife and I were sitting across from them. She and her husband had gone through some troublesome times and horrible failure. And she said, in the midst of this, I discovered this great truth. Life is not about me, it's about God. And she said, we had just gotten to this point in our marriage where we just thought life was about us. How do we prepare? Where do we live? What do we drive? How do we look to other people? How much fun can we have in this life? She said, I begin to realize life is not about me. Life is about God. And so we need to confess our foolishness. We've not taken the time to consider the future as we should. A lot of people have a lot of things laid away for the future, but that's their future on earth. What about your future in heaven? Now, consider your future. Let's think about that. Consider your future. That's the second thing that we need to do. Teach us to number our days. You know what that phrase, number our days, meant? Teach us to give serious thought to how we're going to apply our energies, how we're going to spend up the balance of our days. Where will my energies take me? Where will this path I am on lead me? When do I plan to finally get it all together? When, do I finally, when am I finally going to be delivered from some habit or pattern in my life? When am I finally going to get act together and get disciplined? When am I really, really going to become a person of integrity? When do I really plan to grow up, take responsibility for my life? When do I really plan to do all that? Is it out there in the future? When are we going to have that talk? When am I going to tell them I forgive them? When am I going to say I'm sorry? When am I going to say I love you? When do I plan to do that? Consider your future. Let me give you three questions you ought to ask about your future. Question number one, what should be the driving goals of my life, the objectives toward which my life is headed, those things which motivate me? What should be the driving goals or objectives of my life? What drives me? What drives me? Some time ago, I was considering that. I was thinking about the rest of my life. In fact, it was this whole process that brought me to this series entitled, For the Rest of Your Life. And I began to think about the things that I needed in my... What what were going to be the objectives? What were going to be the the targets toward which I was going to place my life? Did you know that in the end, it boiled down to nothing, nothing that I would call an accomplishment it all boiled down to certain qualities in life I felt God wants any man to have. And I'll list them for you. Each of these will be the subject of a message which I'll preach in a few weeks. Here are my, and are, my objectives. First of all, to be a devoted man, that is to God to my family, to the ministry God has given me. Secondly, to be a directed man. In other words, that it would be clear in everybody's mind that I receive orders from God. Is that one of your objectives? Number three, that I would be a decisive man. That is, that when God speaks, I would go. There are a number of people out here this morning. God's spoken to you. He's done you a favor. He's spoken to you more than once. You've yet to respond in the affirmative. I want to be a decisive man. God says, jump. A friend of mine says, I want to say how high, not whether I should jump, all right? Then I want to be a determined man. I've discovered more and more that it is not the people with the abilities, it is the people with the stick-to-itiveness that get things done in this world. What did Tom Landry say to me in that car as we were riding along? And I said, what do you look for in a young athlete? He said, well, he said, it's changed over the years. I'll tell you what I look for now. Number one, it is integrity. Does this man tell the truth? Number two is desire. And number three, his ability. He said, it used to be we'd look for a man with ability. He discovered that, he said, we've discovered there are a lot of capable people out there who without integrity and without determination will never make it on the team. And so determination, I want to be a determined man. Discipline, I want to be a disciplined man. When do you in your life want to be known as a person who's got things in control rather than an individual who has let go and in certain areas of your life they're out of control? a disciplined person, a diligent person. Teach us a number of days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. I tell you, it's not just sitting around and meditating on Scripture that's going to make you a successful person. The Bible says, whatsoever he, about the man who meditates, whatsoever he does shall prosper. Not whatever he thinks about, whatever he meditates on, it's whatsoever he does shall prosper. I want to be a doing man, a diligent man, a discerning man, knowing right from wrong, knowing good from evil knowing good role models from bad role models a discerning man a daring man god needs men who are daring men who say this is what god has said it looks foolish to the world but i will dare to believe god a delivered man areas of my life where i feel like there are strongholds or that i've been in bondage and have not broken off and been delivered i want to be known as a delivered man from those a delighted man not necessarily a delightful person but a delighted man. The Bible says godliness with contentment is what? That's of of great value. It's of great worth. Godliness with contentment. And we live in a generation that people are so discontented with everything. I want to be a person who's delighted with what God has provided, satisfied with that, and a different person. God called the children of Israel. He didn't say go there into Canaan and act like the Canaanites. He said go over and be different. Walk, talk, eat dress, let everything about you be different from the world. So ask yourself this question. What are the goals that are going to drive my life? Where am I headed? Question number two. And the things I am spending my life on, the urgent things are the really important things. I know a lot of people who think that it's good practice to get up in the morning and list everything that you've got to do that day. And you think that's organized. I made me a list. All the things I've got to do. That may be good, it may be terrible, because you see the things that you've got to do may be just the urgent things, and you can get to the end of your I've got to do list and have done nothing important that day. Nothing that has moved you toward these characteristics, these qualities in life that you want to have nothing that has strengthened your family life, your walk with God, nothing. You've just done all the things you had to do, the urgent things. Why not get up in the morning and say, God, what are the important things of life? If I have time for the urgent, I'll fit them in. But what are the important things? that you have called a man, you've called a Christian, you've called a lady to be, what are the important things for me? Am I giving my life to the important or just to the urgent? And question number three, given the fact that I am assured that life is fragile and brief and that God is my audience and that I will give an accountability to him, given those facts, how long can I afford to wait to make the decision about what I'm going to be, how I'm going to spend up the rest of my life? And the answer will be I can't wait. I'll give an accountability to God, an account to God for every day that I wait. Number three, we've said first confess your foolishness, I've just been going blissfully through life without even thinking about what's happening around me. Secondly, consider your future. Give serious thought to where you're going, where this path will take you, how your energies are driving you. Are they important or urgent? God's going to give you. Uh, God gives you these days. He's going to hold you accountable for them. Number three, as God instructs you, change your focus. Change your focus. That, he says, we may apply our hearts to wisdom. That word apply means literally leap into. Drive yourself like an arrow or a bullet into the target. Drive yourself into wisdom, the things of God. I'd suggest two things this morning that will help you. First of all, if you have not done it, Settle your eternal destiny with God. Settle your eternal destiny. Look, if you will, at verse 17. I didn't read it, but it's Moses' closing word here. God's word to us, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. That means the beautiful presence, the beautiful radiance of God be upon us. You need to settle your eternal destiny. I want to tell you something. You're not qualified to live on this earth until you know where you're going to spend your forever with God whether you're going to be separated from him, you say, well, I'm waiting to make that decision. No, the longer you wait, the more certain it is you have made your decision. You're not at a fork in the road trying to decide between heaven and hell. You're on your way to hell. By nature, all of us have sinned. By nature, all of us are separated from God. The wages of sin is death. That's by nature where we are headed. That's where we're going. We have this option. We can be redeemed. We can accept the blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary as payment for our sins. We can be redeemed. That's the option. And if you have not availed yourself of that, if you have not believed in Christ, repenting of sin and trusting Jesus who paid for your sin on the cross of Calvary, if you have not received Christ by faith as your Savior, then you need to settle your eternal destiny because you are like a ship out at sea with its compass pointed directly to hell unless you choose Jesus as your Savior. All our good works, the Bible says, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before God until we've settled the issue with God. And he says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be white as snow. God says, I can clean up your act, I can clean up your life, I can guarantee you forgiveness of sin, I can guarantee your home in heaven, and I can guarantee new direction in your life. For the rest of your life I can give that to you, but you've got to come the one way, and that is Jesus, who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Settle your eternal destiny some here thinking I'm going to straighten up this I'm going to straighten out that I'm going to do this I'm going to start doing that and then I might become a Christian in your mind is probably a church member but I want to tell you something you will never become any of those things as hard as you try because you cannot come to God except through the blood of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins and so settle your eternal destiny number two If you have done that, if you can say beyond any question, I receive Christ as my Savior, then surrender your earthly desires to God. Look at the rest of that verse 17. And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish it. In other words, give it direction. And so that means that I take the desires of my life this morning and I give them to God. Jesus said if a man seeks to save his life, he will lose it. You hang on to it, call it your own, it'll be gone. But Jesus says, Whosoever loses his life for my sake, the same shall find it. So this morning I would say, whatever your plans, whatever your goals, surrender, surrender the rest of your life, your earthly life to God. Give it to him this morning that God is prompting you, just that inner prompting of his Holy Spirit, look, here's the decision you need to make. Here's what you are to be. Here's where you are to go. Here's the direction of your life. Here are the qualities of your life for the rest of your life. Be decisive. Say, I will do that. I'll not wait any longer. I'll not fudge or contemplate or hesitate because the longer I wait, the more I'm saying no to God, which says I'm saying yes to the devil. And I'm not giving one more inch to the devil For the rest of my life, I want my eyes to be on the Lord Jesus as my Savior, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I'm going to look to him with the rest of my life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and I believe that all across this auditorium this morning there are people who say, God's speaking to my heart, and I want to come to Christ. And so this morning the invitation is for you to come to the Lord and to agree with him, in regard to everything he may have said to you this morning. I cannot articulate it, but you know what's in your heart. For some of you, it may be that you need to receive Christ as your Savior or or to join this church. For others, it may be that you have a hurting heart and, and that you've been cast upon a sea of confusion. And this morning you say, Look, I need to think about the direction of the rest of my life. I need to come to the Lord for help in that area. That's what I must do. That's what I need to do so the invitation this morning is very simple. Just come to the Lord. Just come to the Lord. In just a few moments, we're going to stand together. Our counselors are going to come right now. I'm going to ask them to come just this moment and stand out here at these aisles. You may want to come even now as God has prompted your heart from the choir, from the orchestra, from both sides. People are already coming. The invitation is for you to come to Christ. You may need to turn to a friend and say, look, let's go. Maybe it's a family member. Let's join. Let's give our heart to God. Whatever the decision is, In your heart, I would urge you this morning to come to the Lord, to say yes to him. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, let's stand. As people are coming, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I want to lead us in prayer. The moment I say amen, the choir is going to begin singing this wonderful old hymn of invitation. You can join them if you'd like. Just as I am, without one plea, but that that blood was shed for me. That thou bidst me come to thee. Lamb of God, this morning I come. I'm just coming to Christ, Father in heaven. I pray trusting that your Holy Spirit moving in power in this place will bring people to this altar. Some to find a counselor, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. Some to say, look, we want to join this church. Others to come and pour out their hearts to you and say, look, I just need God for the rest of my life. I'm spending up my life. I want it to be useful to him. Oh God, bring people to this altar. I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. We sing together. Many people have already come. Would you join them right now? Here's my